We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in. Episode 67, uh, the last episode we will do before Thursday night's NBA draft. Get excited, uh, or don't, if you listen to the low post today. <laughs> and uh, you, you understood, well, you understood already that Charlotte right. had some dysfunction in the draft room, but... There's some more light shed on that today. Um, but anyways, we're going to talk a bunch of draft prospects today. Um, you know, some, some burning topics around the draft. Who could fall? Who might rise? I don't really know what we're going to talk about. We're going to jump around, try to provide you guys with a good primer uh, that you can take into Thursday night and really get you ready. Uh, quickly, do not forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Check out almightyballer.com. they got a lot of good draft stuff up over there right now. A specific shout-out to the podcast Ode to Odin. Uh, it's part of the Stepian.com that does really, really good draft stuff. So if you haven't checked them out, uh, make sure to do that. And then QueenCityHoops.com. A lot of great draft coverage uh, over there right now. Uh, that is the home of BuzzBeat Radio. Um, and we've got we've got a Zaire Smith uh, versus Con Sexton piece. We've got a Shea Gilgis, Shea Gilgis Alexander um versus who is he up against now i'm blanking uh but anyways there's all kinds of great content over there uh kevin knox offensive breakdown i broke down his offense that came out yesterday so go check that out and there's also a link dump page that's just 2018 draft content that we've put together on this podcast written content on queen city hoops it's all there so if you need to get ready for thursday night just go check out queencityhoops.com we got you covered richie what's up not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. It's interesting that you mentioned the Ode to Odin podcast because I actually listened to that today. You know, Sean Darenthal and Coles Wicker both do a great job with that podcast. And I think I was listening to one about uh, Zaire Smith and Lonnie Walker today. And, and they go over their positives, their negatives, and some of like the gray area stuff. So it's very informative. Um, I always listen to it when I'm in the car uh, just to kind of kill some time. But I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. I can't believe it's draft week already. I guess by the time you're listening to this, it'll be about... I don't know, 70, 72 hours before the uh, the draft yeah. begins. Yeah, ish, ish. Lonnie Walker, that's who I missed a second ago. Yeah, Lonnie Walker uh, went up against Shea Gil- Gilgis Alexander in one of our first 
uh, prospect spotlight pieces on Quincy Hoop. So you reminded me there. <laughs> um, all right. So the format we talked about doing was kind of we'll go back and forth, kind of a Q and A session with each other. So we don't really have one person asking the questions and one person answering. I think we're just going to fire back and forth at each other and really just try to have a conversation here about what our thoughts are, what our perceptions are leading into Thursday night. So, Richie, we'll let you roll it out first and then go from there. I mean, do you want to talk about the the low podcast first or do you want to Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I said I wanted to leave with that. Yeah, yeah. thanks for reminding me. That's what I don't know what I'd do without you, seriously. Um, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> So yeah, I didn't listen to podcast. it. So you lead, you lead this. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but I've listened to about 20-ish, 25 minutes, maybe uh, right at the end of work and getting ready to leave. And they literally lead the podcast with, like, Charlotte comes up. They were talking about <clears throat> Jonathan Javoni and, his, you know, Lowe asked him, I think, what has been your, your most accurate uh, mock draft? And he said, well, yeah, it was last year. And he said, we got to 11 at Charlotte, and I had them taking Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> you know, when, in fact, they took Malik Monk. And then he talks about uh, basically the process of how Steve Clifford um, was on the table. It was, quote-unquote, he had on the table – you know, screaming and, and begging the team to take Donovan Mitchell, and he was overruled. Uh, and then Lowe just kind of seconds hit what he said and said, oh, yeah, Clifford was absolutely trying to get him to take Donovan Mitchell, and that's only the seventh worst story of Charlotte's draft room in the past five years. So, yeah, some animosity there. <laughs> you know, I don't know quite where that animosity comes with Lowe, but he's had some strong opinions about Charlotte's front office. I mean, you can tell that there's – for the lack of better terms, some red ass from Zach Lowe sometimes with the way he talks about the Hornets, and I, I believe it. Um, he's been very adamant in the past about that he believes the Hornets turned down four first, future first-round mm-hmm. picks that the, the Celtics offered him. He, he's really adamant about that. I've seen a lot of people in the Hornets community kind of get annoyed by that and say, oh, here Lowe goes again. But, you know, there's maybe two other people in the whole NBA that cover the NBA that are more plugged in than that guy, uh, mm-hmm. three. And, you know, at this point, I think it's hard to defend management in Charlotte and ownership mm-hmm. with the Hornets. Would that be unfair to say, Richie? No, not at all. And I think it all stems from, I mean, Michael Jordan. I think, you know, the seventh worst decision, I'm sure six of them revolve around this guy. It's just a tough environment to be in because – you know, whether you're Cho, whether you're Steve Clifford, and you have an opinion about a player, about a transaction, it just seems like you're going to get overruled by by MJ. And we just want him to take a back seat because his track record with some of these transactions have been less than stellar. It doesn't surprise me that Steve Clifford wanted Donovan Mitchell. I think we even mentioned that uh, as a possibility, as a conspiracy uh, theory before on this podcast about, you know, his name probably was in play. And, you know, we had him in for a workout. Steve Clifford saw him firsthand. But, yeah, it's just a tough environment to be in when you're working with Michael Jordan. And hopefully, you know, there might be a little bit of glimmer of hope here that Kupchak might override him. And hopefully MJ would relinquish some of that to uh, a more experienced GM like Kupchak. But I, I still feel like, you know, the management here, you know, it starts from top to bottom. And Michael is just a little bit too involved. It'd be one thing if he was actually making great decisions, you know what I mean? But he's he's seems not yeah, to be. He's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean that's very well said, and it's a good point with Cupcheck. We've talked about that before. You know, is Cupcheck this you know experienced um, guy that's been in the league for a long time, won NBA championships, and somebody that Jordan's actually going to really 
maybe not look up to, but certainly respect in a form that he would really allow him to make the decisions first and foremost. Um, but and look, I'm not trying to be like Mr. Pessimistic guy when I, you know, tweet this out what Low and you know quote unquote what Low and um, Javoni were saying earlier. Yeah, and you know I know I can get a little bit pessimistic by the Hornets, but I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just I'm just here to like tell you the facts, um, and I think that's what we're all here to do. I, I think that maybe here at Busby we get a, we get a little bit of a hard time mm-hmm. every now and then for being a little bit pessimistic, but you know I I, I swear I'm not trying to be. Uh, it's just. What is there to be super optimistic about? I'll be optimistic when, when there's a reason to be. I, I, I think I'm more of a realist. realist I think Richie yeah. is too, and I yeah. think Brian is too. So uh, we're just trying to bring you guys the truth, man. That, that we're just trying to tell the truth. That's it. So uh, don't hate <laughs> us for that. <laughs> yeah, it is, right. it, is, um, it, it is what it is, as John Fox says. It is what it is. Exactly. It is what it is. That's what I said to somebody on Twitter the other uh, about an hour ago, and they were like, so you have no hope. And I was like, well, it is what it is, man. Like <laughs> The results are in front of you too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, I'm going to open it up to you first, Richie. Uh, you have a question for me. I'll have some questions for you, okay. and then we'll do it that way. Okay. Uh, well, you actually went on WFNZ this morning, and uh, you were talking about several prospects, and it seems like that your you know your draft board has fluctuated just like mine. I've wavered and flip-flopped like crazy this year. Uh, is there a reason why, you know, we just kind of want to talk about Miles Bridges. Is there a reason why Miles has jumped up to your top spot? I'm assuming you've probably eliminated uh, – the other bridges and probably Wendell Carter Jr. from the equation, uh, just kind of realistically speaking, why do you have Miles at your number one spot? I just I really like his <clears throat> I really like his frame. Uh, that's really where it starts for me. His frame combined with his sk- with his skill set, which I think is more versatile than he gets credit for. Um, I, you know, going through the Monk experience. And going through the Frank Kaminsky experience, you know, I, I really value defense and, and versatility on that end of the floor. Um, you know, it's something we've been able to watch Michael K. Gilchrist bring to Charlotte, um, although he hasn't translated on the other end. I just I value that a lot. And I believe in what Clifford preached in Charlotte, that it starts on the defensive end. And I really think that Borrego, although he's going to be more creative offensively, I think, especially with his lineups, but he's a defense first guy too. I mean, just look where he spent 11 of his years. I mean, best perennial top three defense in the NBA in San Antonio. Um, so that said, you know, Miles comes in, he's got a six, he stands just shy of six, seven. He's 220 pounds. Um, not a, doesn't blow you away with his wingspan. I think he's six, nine. So he's not exceptionally long, but think about how the NBA is played now. Think about some of the lineups you see with, mm-hmm. Draymond Green at center, right? Like OG Ananobi. I'm trying to think of some guys that pop off the top of my head. You know, these are not guys that are 6'9", 6'10", which could still be considered small for a center in the NBA. These guys are 6'6", 6'7", you know, 6'8", at most, you know, when it gets down to the playoffs. And and here's a guy, Miles Bridges, who has showed some, some juice off the bounce, shot 38% from behind the arc at Michigan State, a ton of offense, you know, ran through him. They depended on him quite a bit, especially this past season. Um, and he, he's a good passer, too. Mm-hmm. You know, he just has – he has all these little skills that check all the boxes. I mean, there's so much value in what he can do, being a 6'7 wing that can guard a ton of positions defensively. And then offensively, he doesn't – although he doesn't have a, a, a strength that jumps off at you as elite, he also doesn't have a glaring weakness. Right. You know, so I just I don't know that he will ever develop into an all star, but 
you, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is, you know, he, that's a shot across the sky. I mean, you don't see a guy in the late lottery drafted very often that, that projects as a future all-star after his rookie season, you know, that, that jumps off that quickly. But I do think Miles Bridges will be a starter for 10 years in this league and reach a point to where he is a super important and key piece on a playoff team um, on the defensive end of the floor. And he doesn't hurt you offensively. Heck, who knows? If that guy shoot learns to shoot 40% from behind the arc, and that yeah, 40% is probably strong, but if he should translate <laughs> 38% yeah. to the NBA, this is one of the most valuable wings in the league five or six years from now. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I, I've said this multiple times on Twitter. I've wavered so many times between these prospects trying to decide on which one I like the best. And it's funny. It was like a couple days ago. It was like, why do we keep on forgetting about miles bridges? It might be because as you know, he went back for his sophomore year. People forgot about him. His stock kind of stayed very stagnant. And it's almost like we we're looking for a new face. And he, he was right there all along. I didn't really do a whole lot of um, research on him this year until late. And I was like, you know, this guy has a lot of translatable skills on the next level. And like you said, with the way that the NBA is going, I think that his lack of length, you know, he only has a six, nine wingspan, uh, might not be that big of an issue. I think that he probably translate best to play a small ball four. But if you look at him like in the old school NBA, he looks more like a you know a shooting guard or a small four, just the way that he is built. But right. you know he's very athletic. I think we did forget about him because he did go back for his sophomore year. But his stock stayed fairly consistent, and I think he just gets overlooked for a lot of different things. Like you said, his shooting. I think a lot of people don't you know, realize that he shot 38% from behind the arc. And he's got a high motor, which is going to help on the offensive uh, rebounding end, the defensive rebounding end. The only concern that I have with him, and again, there's going to be concerns with anyone at 11, he's just a little bit inconsistent off-ball defender. Uh, he gets you know ball-watching a lot. Uh, gets lost, but I feel like that could be taught. Okay, it's not like something that um, physically, you know, there's a hindrance there. You know, his body, yeah. he's lost 20 pounds over uh, the summer to get ready for the draft. He's athletic. Yeah. And again, he is very um, a new age NBA player in terms of his switchability on the defensive end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the skill you have to hone on first and then build off of that. And that's what really. And I'm like you. You said it a minute ago. You know, my my draft board has fluctuated a million um, times here since the the first one I had. I mean, I do that every year too. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not ashamed to say, like, sorry, I don't get nailed in on a guy in February and that stays consistent. Right. You know, this deep into the game. So, um, and I I just don't I just don't get it. Like, I just don't understand why he's why he can't get top ten buzz. You know, and guys like Kevin Knox. Um, <laughs> Are getting top ten buzz. I just I don't I don't understand that part. Michael Porter even like if all right. Here's a question for you, Richie, and then I actually have another one for you. But I, this one okay. just came to my head. If you're picking, well, we'll just say the Hornets. If you're picking eleventh and Michael Porter's there and Miles Bridges is there, who are you taking? I'm taking Bridges. Um, I mean, I, I think agree. there's a lot of un, yeah. I think there's a lot of unknown with Porter. Who's to say, even if he was healthy, he's going to turn out to be a great player? Because he was very inefficient. I know it was only three games, but he was very inefficient uh, with his time at Missouri. I know that he was a highly touted player coming out of high school, uh, but that injury scares me. And if he were to fall to 11, clearly something was uh, more major than um, you know people anticipated. But it sounds like his stock is actually rising, which is crazy to me to think that he could go two overall to Sacramento. But if he happened to be there... Maybe it's a very conservative route, but I think I would take Miles Bridges. 
I agree with you, and I understand. Like, look, I get it. Porter, I mean, he's almost six eleven. Yeah, you know, he's going to be able to play if everything falls the right way on the ball a lot. I mean, maybe even some point guard at one point of his career. So a lot of people are saying, yeah, but I mean, here's a Ben Simmons that can shoot. Like, of course he's going to be rated highly. So I like, I get it, and I know that the reports out there are saying, you know, the medicals came back. Um, at positive, he might even work out for some teams between now and Thursday, um, which is a kind of a weird development. I don't know why his agent, if he's given top two buzz, would no. let him step on the court right now. Right. But uh, but anyways, yeah, I just I thought that that's kind of been an interesting question among the Hornets community is if Porter does fall, which doesn't sound like he is now. You know what happens there? All right, my question for you because you were the first one on this guy because. There's something you haven't told us, Richie. You you lived in like the Southwest United States at some point because you bring us a guy from Texas every single year. Um, so you were on Zaire Smith early. Yeah. And the more and more I've watched him, and the more and more I kind of contemplate and ponder his his ceiling, the more I get excited about him. I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be drafting the lottery just because the offensive weaknesses or, mm-hmm. or, or, or really what he's limited at on that end are just so glaring right now. But Zaire Smith, what, where do you see him land in number one? And then do you think it's a reach for a team like Charlotte at 11? I don't think it's a reach. I think I have him third on my board and you might be surprised who I have second. We might be able to talk about him later, but I have Zaire Smith third, uh, miles bridges, number one, Zaire Smith third. I think realistically, um, you know, he probably could fall anywhere from 11 to 15. I don't think it would be reach if we took him. Again, I was high on him early, but I have cooled off on him. He's very athletic. Um, he does all the right things on offense. Uh, you often find him, you know, setting screens, making well-timed cuts, making the simple passes. But to me, what kind of worries me about him, and this is nothing new, he just doesn't project to be like this number one type of option and maybe not even number two type of option in in terms of being on the offensive end. He is unselfish and he does all the team-oriented things, but you put the ball in his hands and it's almost like he doesn't have a strength when you put the ball in his hands. Uh, There are definitely some concerns with his ball handling and be able to create for others and create for himself with the ball in his hands. I do like his ability on the defensive end, you know, to switch across multiple positions, but I've cooled off on him, but no Spencer. I've never lived anywhere but Charlotte. So uh, <laughs> I don't know why I keep, you know, going back to these people yeah. in the Midwest. I think it's probably because we don't talk about him enough, but we kind of stick to the Southeast and ACC. So I like to branch out a little bit, but yeah, I don't think but it'd be a stretch uh, if we took him, but I don't, I don't know. I just, I worry about him on the offensive end. Yeah. I mean, I don't – something tells me there's a lot there, though. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to be that guy that two or three years from now we're just like, what in the world? Like, we had no idea he could he could play in the pick and roll, for example, or he could – you know, he could draw the extra defender out of the pick and roll and the roll man and flip it to the opposite corner, or, or he can just beat somebody off the dribble with his crossover and, you know, finish all over the rim. We know he can finish all over the rim, but, you know, like with the ball – He's just he's so young, number one. I mean, mm-hmm. he's one of the youngest guys in this draft. He's literally 19 years old, just turned 19. You know, it, he's a very, very late bloomer, not highly recruited. You know, went to Texas Tech, and, I mean, Chris Beard's been quoted saying, like, I mean, those Texas Tech, Texas Tech coaches have been like, look, this kid's going to be something special because his athleticism just pops off so quickly. I mean, I, Brian said it, uh, Brian Geisinger, mm-hmm. 
one of our co-hosts here on Buzzbeat Radio, he said it the other day on his WFNZ hit in Charlotte that he's easily the most athletic player in this draft, you know, or something along those lines is what he said. And I, I agree with him. That alone, to me, and the fact that you're 19 years old, should get you into the lottery. But it doesn't appear like it's going to for Smith, or it's going to be close. I, I, I just think a lot of people, like, basically sit back and say, is he an MK, a shorter MKG, you know, with with a high defensive ceiling and but offensive deficiencies yeah. that are just too far to be saved at this point? Um, yeah. I, I just don't tend to believe that because I don't think he's ever had the opportunity to be an on ball guy, and I don't think his personality is me, me, me. You know, he's always been a role player, so when he's given the opportunity to have even a higher role. Who says he can't become that? It's true. But you also wonder if he doesn't have that mentality either. You know, sometimes some players are just meant to be a second or third option and they don't have that killer instinct inside of them. And, you know, who knows? This guy might be very meek on and off the court and he just likes to, you know, take a back seat, do all the little things. Um, but, you know, his athleticism and his defense and, um, you know, his the little things will obviously translate directly to the NBA. But I'm, I'm hoping he turns out uh, better on the offensive end that, than most people think. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, like, players like him and SGA that don't shoot a lot of three-pointers, but they have, like, a high three-point percentage? Like, does that... Does yeah. that tell you enough about a player, or do you think it just take throw that out the window in terms of you know high percentage but low rate? Because he shot forty five percent from behind the arc. Yeah, yeah, forty five percent on what forty attempts. So you know, super low sample, but right. No, I think it's a good question. I mean, my thought is, you know, I think that's when you really got to dig in on the mechanics and and try to look at, you know, watch the film and say, is this a guy when he catches the ball and he's got space, is he even looking at the basket, for example, right? Whereas Zaire Smith, a lot of times he wasn't. And, you know, he just mm. he wasn't inter- he wasn't interested in shooting the ball. Um, he was only going to do it when he was wide, wide open. But I watch his mechanics, and he's he's very square. He has kind of a wide stance. Um, it's a v- very slow motion, mm-hmm. but the elbow gets in a good position. Um, and he shoots it on he shoots it on the way up. Uh, it just it's a little bit mechanical, like robotic. It almost looks like a catapult almost. Like he kind of like bends it back. Yeah. I don't know. Just but yeah, like you said, yeah. it's not like anything major. It's not MKG major, but there's just something off about it. He does yeah, he does he does cock it back kind of almost not behind his shoulder, but, mm-hmm. but pretty close. He really gets the ball. It gets like his hand parallel to the floor, right? <laughs> like he doesn't get the ball up to his fingers and shoot it at the you know, just immediately on the rise. He needs to get his hand in position. Then he, you know, bends his knees. Then he lifts and shoots. So it's just a very mechanical motion right now. Um, but I think that could be fixed. You know, it's it's not broken, like you said. So he's got to become a more willing shooter, though. I mean, the mentality and the mental part of it have to become: when I catch on the weak side or the corner, I have to be in a shooting position, right? And I have to have the mentality that if I'm open, I gotta let that thing go. I think right now he just that's not his mentality, you know. Yeah. Um and and we saw it last year. I mean Texas Tech just used him like in the middle of zone defenses <laughs> so much, you know, and they faced zone defenses a lot cuz he didn't have a lot of great shooters. So, you know, teams were more willing to take the dribble drive away from them. And so he had so many offensive possessions kind of just as the jackknife guy in the middle of the zone, which is another sign like I just still don't know we 
actually understand what he can do offensively. It's kind of like where Brian corrected me and we were talking about Wendell Carter defensively last, um, I guess it was the last, yeah, it was episode 66. I was like, you know, I just doesn't look like a guy who can move his feet great. Maybe he can, but his mechanics were sloppy. He was like, yeah, but he played zone defense most of the season. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right, true. So with those kind of players, I think you have to take that with a grain of salt. I don't know, man. It just You show me a player that athletic who's just a little bit wonky with the ball in his hands, not real confident, that that athleticism will you know, be exacerbated if he can just get a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Yeah. He's going to have a great first step. He's going to be able to play above the rim. If he develops any kind of jump shot, like let's say, for example, shoots 35 and a half, 36% behind the arc in the NBA. Like, who's to say this guy can't be an all-star for 10 years? It, but he's also going to get better with the ball in his hands in terms of just dribbling, you know, because if, if he's on the second side and to get the ball gets swung back to him, you know, his athleticism will take over on the drive, but he's got to get better in terms of actually handling the ball on that drive. I guess I have a question for you, only because I want to talk about my uh, my second guy on the board. If Miles Bridges is off the board, who are you drafting for the Horn? Okay, Miles Bridges, Michael Bridges, uh, Wendell Carter didn't slip. Who is like second on your board that you would draft uh, if if Miles wasn't there? Um, yeah, I think at that point I'm probably zeroing in on Sexton. Okay. Um, I I, just, I like his strength. Um, I think he's a really really good pick and roll player. I just I just like the fact that that kid has a little bit of a killer instinct and he's a really good competitor. Uh, he gets a little, runs a little too hot sometimes, and he lets the emotions kind of get the best of him. But you know, just to find a player like him that, again, the strength is where you start. Then you go, okay, can he play with the ball in his hands? He's going to play pick and roll in the next, or excuse me, play point guard at the next level. Yeah, heck yeah, he can play with the ball in his hands. Nobody's going to take it from him. Um, can he play out of the pick and roll? Yes, he can. Wasn't great at passing out of the pick and roll. Looked off, looked off a lot of his teammates, but he averaged 23 points last year uh, with an incredibly high usage rate. Um, he gets into the paint. When he gets in there, he freaking mm-hmm. – I mean, he just runs the show. Mm-hmm. He gets to the foul line a lot. And uh, and I just think you can teach a guy to see the floor a little better. He's always going to be – He's always going to be a little bit zeroed in yeah. at looking for his. Yep. But, you know, there's value in that too, right? Yeah, that's like, his mentality. Be, that's his mentality. And even if Sexton turns into like a – you know, I mean, I think his best comp is like an Eric Bledsoe. But mm-hmm. you know, even if he turns into a guy who's always looking to score, you know, guess what? You need those guys in the NBA. You know, if he turns into a six-man or just a guy who can come in and give you 12 to 15 points a night off the bench – at number eleven, that's fine. That's fine. I think he's a safe pick in that, in, in that sense. But the upside for Sexton with his strength, his athleticism, you know, his on-ball zest. Mm-hmm. If he learns how to read the floor, if he learns how to slow the game down a little bit more, so he can make the game easier for his teammates. You know, I think that's really where the all-star starts to blossom. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, Sexton's a pretty safe pick, and he feel he fills. A very important hole for the Hornets right now, point guard. Well, you kind of stole my spotlight because I thought you would be surprised by me picking Sexton on my second overall, but he he's right behind Miles Bridges for me, if not like 1B. You know, everything that you just said, uh, I agree with. He's very powerful, very quick, 
just an explosive player getting into the paint and scoring at the rim. And yeah. on the defensive end, like you, you say, like you, you don't realize this, but he's just that mentality that he has on the offensive end, especially when it comes to like one-on-one situations, he's going to translate that on the defensive end and lock down that ball handler. He might not be the best necessarily off ball, but when it comes to like a one-on-one defender, uh, he's got all the physical tools to be uh, one of the better defenders, at least, you know, at the point guard position. And he probably can guard both spots too. I guess the biggest question mark, and we've talked about this, is his shooting ability. He can score, uh, but he didn't shoot the ball too well from behind the arc. And that, that can come with time. A lot of players come into the league without that ability to shoot the ball, and they can learn that. But there's a lot of things that Sexton has, like his confidence, his, his moxie, his you know competitiveness that you can't teach. And I guess this kind of leads me to my, my next question. If, if we do draft Colin Sexton, does that indicate anything in terms of Kimba's future or not necessarily? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it does. Um, you know, just because we we need a point guard in the first place, just right. behind Kemba. You know, just we have nothing and and no flexibility to do anything in free agency. So, you know, but uh, I, well, I don't think Kemba Walker is going to be in Charlotte after this season. I'm not sure that he's going to be there in a few days from now. Um, so, you know. It, yeah, it doesn't matter from that perspective, but the Hornets need they need on ball guard help. Um, you know, whether that comes in the form of Alani Walker, or Colin Sexton, um, you know, I, I don't think that I don't think it matters a ton, but they need somebody else that can create some offense. Um I think one of the things that Hornets fans have learned with a guy like Nick Batum, although he's a great passer, he's not I don't want to say he's not a good creator of offense. He's just the limitations he has with like just getting by his guy and then just making the skip pass or making the pass where the help defense comes from. You know, he just he doesn't have that. So he needs the ball screen all the time. The Hornets need guys, athletic, quick first step guys that can get by their defender and create offense. And especially if they're going to play with a guy like Kimball Walker who's constantly trapped, right? Yeah. You need a weak side guy that can make that trap pay. Um and they've just been void of that skill for a number of years now, really since Jeremy Lin. I mean, that was the last guy that, that was really able to give them another ball handler that could get in the middle of the defense and just create havoc. So this roster is just they got to take pressure off Kimba. So, I, you know, I, I think Sexton, on ball-wise, uh, out of guards, is the best available option there at 11, realistically. yeah. yeah. He does have to become a you know a better facilitator though, like you said. He doesn't necessarily uh, pass the ball too well at a pick and roll situation. So if he does blow by a defender, he's got to be able to read that in terms of the defensive sh- you know if the defense shifts over uh, to find that open guy. Like you said, he kind of zeroes in on getting his too often, and oftentimes he might miss an open player. Who knows? It might be because Alabama didn't have the best shooters or they were inconsistent at times, but he definitely needs to become a better facilitator on that end. And I wonder if Hornets fans would be upset by the fact, I don't know, I mean, best player available, but if you drafted Sexton to be a backup, like, you know what I mean? Like at the 11 spot, yeah. like, do you think Hornets fans are like, okay, we're, we're drafting a backup to Kemba? Like, do you think Hornets fans are going to view it that way and be upset a little bit about that? Well, I mean, you on paper you can look at it like that, but again, I think you have to, you got as a fan you got to try to be, you know, long term. Yes. You got to try to see the big picture, and the big picture is that look, Kimball Walker probably ain't going to be here <laughs> a year from now. I mean, I know we go back to that all the time, but that's just it's a reality. Um, and and here's the other part: 
who says the Hornets want to even pay him to be $190 million right. to be around for five more years? I, I don't know that they want to do that either. So this may be a very mutual, hey, let's look for you a new home now so we can get something for you um, and you don't just walk. And look, we'll help facilitate you to a place that you want to be and maybe could see yourself re-signing long-term. You know, that all that is possible. These two sides can work together in this, and I think that's the best that's the best outcome for, for the Hornets, certainly. I mean, I, I think for Kimba, too. He, why does he need to play in Charlotte next season? This team isn't going anywhere, and they, it, it needs a long-term plan. And without him and that looming $190 million five-year cap hit, without that hanging over them, it, now they – there's some breathing room, there's some air, there's somewhat of a vision that you can start to paint. So we'll see how all that plays out. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. Um, hey, I want to just kind of reverse course from the draft real quick. I want to ask you a question. Okay. So, you know, Zach Lowe, Jonathan Javoni, you know, they, they did their pod earlier. We talked about the quotes. Do you think that the fact that, you know, Charlotte obviously drafted Malik Monk over Donovan Mitchell and then Steve Clifford mutually agreed <laughs> with Mitch Kupchak to part ways this season, do you think Malik Monk – because we're talking about guards right now. That's where, yeah. really why this came to my head. Do you think Malik Monk was, I don't want to say the, the number one reason, but one of the primary reasons that that mutual agreement for the two ways to, to go different directions happened? And the fact that Kupchak and, and management, MJ, whoever, said, look, Monk's our guy. We're moving I see what you're with saying. Him. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, so you're saying that, uh, you know, this, maybe this, disagreement lingered throughout the season and and Clifford yeah, I mean, decided yeah, I mean, to part guy, ways mutually because he felt like okay if I'm going to be with this organization I want some kind of say and you know obviously I didn't get my say with with Monk is that is that what you're saying yeah basically yeah. and you know this was brought to my attention I mean it's a great thought it's not you know it's not some novel concept but it, it's a simple and very very logical one um to think oh okay so yeah that's why monk's playing time was yeah. was shit last year and and there was the excuse of oh well, yeah carter you know, williams he, well and it's not a terrible excuse you know he got hurt he missed a lot of training camp i mean that's not a terrible excuse right. but like it took us till the last 25 games of the season to actually really see this guy and that that to me is a little bit like well did it take him that long to like get into the flow of things so yeah i, I do think that the playing time had something to do with the fact that clifford had you know, some bad feelings about that. And ultimately, maybe it is why they parted ways. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see the reasons as to why he didn't play. But, you know, I think as Hornets fans, we wanted to see him out on the court. You know, the injury played a factor. And he played, he actually played a little bit in the beginning of the year until Carter Williams came back. And then Carter Williams came back and kind of took over his spot. And then basically in the middle of the season, you really didn't see Monk play at all. It was so inconsistent. And then, like you said, the last 20 games is kind of when he was brought back onto the scene. And I, I would hope Clifford wouldn't do that. Like in terms of like purposely not playing him because this wasn't his guy, but also you got to factor in the fact that, uh, you know, Clifford doesn't play a lot of rookies to begin with. So that, that's where I struggle with the decision in terms of 
maybe he just didn't think he was ready to play, uh, regardless if it, if it was his pick or not. Yeah, exactly. And, and look, like, I'll be the first to tell you Steve Clifford had some, you know, th- there were some issues he had with his lineups and his <laughs> willingness to be more creative and, you know, try new things. I mean, he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't some, I mean, he was a very smart basketball mind, is a very smart basketball mind, but, you know, he could have tried some other things in Charlotte that I think would have, would have helped us keep our heads above water more often. That said, he had a vision of the way he wanted to play basketball. And we saw that vision harvest some pretty good crop there for a few years, early on in his tenure in Charlotte. And uh, I do feel like he, he thinks he wasn't allowed to live out that vision. I do believe that. And I, you know, I think this situation with him wanting to draft Mitchell, who they seem to be dead set on the whole process and the last second be overruled um, played a big factor. And look, we were excited about Monk, you know, whatever he, a good player fell to us. We took him. Nobody's going to really hate on that decision, but so much, but we talk about culture and vision all the time, Richie. And you know, the fact that the, the head coach felt so strongly about it, and we don't know who's, who told him no, right? Like, we don't know that it was Cho or Jordan. Well, I, I got to uh, guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so do you. I, I, I can almost damn guarantee it was MJ. But it is disappointing that <laughs> he wasn't allowed. Yeah. What was that? Can you imagine, like, Clifford and, like, MJ going back and forth on, you know, Donovan Mitchell Monk in this in this draft room and Cho's just sitting in the background. He's like, yeah, this is what I've been dealing with all my life with MJ, just not being able to get my way. I could just see him in the background being like, yep, Clifford, this is what I have to deal with every day. <laughs> exactly. You just see, like, the general manager of our team almost is just like the poor middleman at yeah, that point, yeah, yeah. you know, just, like, trying to mediate the situation. So, oh, man, it's – it's something else with with that guy, the greatest player ever. But yeah, the results speak for themselves. I'm sorry, MJ. You know, I not, again, I'm not trying to be Mr. Pessimism and and just throw dirt on you, but at some point, you got to show us something. Yeah. Um, all right, let's. I have a question for you, or, or let's just talk about a guy. All this Kevin Knox hype. Um, I wrote something, just a little offensive breakdown because there just aren't any strengths like. I know he's kind of scouted as a shooter, you know, six nine wing. Hopefully, one day he can play with the ball in his hands more. You know, has, has some creative little floaters and, and stuff in the mid post. But you just look at his profile and you watch his film. You're just like, I, I just can't tell you where he what he does really well. Right. That said, he played in a Kentucky offense, which I've said many times it was a they had there was no space in that offense. It really made the game harder on everybody, especially with guys that had to shoot and dribble and drive to the basket. Um. But what do you make? Like, what do you make of this hype? He's in like the top ten, and I mean, there's probably twenty. Yeah, he's rising. There's probably like twenty-ish mock drafts out there that I've I've looked at uh, here the past few days, and he's in the top ten of at least eight or nine of those. Yeah, I I don't even know if he'll be there. The Hornets pick, and I feel like if he was there, uh, considering the fact that we went to his pro day, we worked him out. I feel like for whatever reason, I just get the sense that that Cupcheck likes Knox, but. Yeah, I don't know what to make of him. I think the biggest strengths, like you said, is more of his upside and his potential. Like you look at you look at the body. You know, he's he's got a great you know NBA body. Um, you know, he's going to be one of those players that can switch between three and four. He has that upside on the offensive end. Um, he didn't necessarily shoot the ball too well from three, but you know he he that's that's there. I'm just a little bit worried about him on the defensive end and just kind of like him blocking in on that end. He just doesn't have that mentality to be, you know, that aggressive player on that end. 
and he's not that great of a rebounder either for his size. That goes back to his mentality. I'm not big on Knox, and if he was there at 11, I would assume that we would pick him just because I have that feeling with uh, Kupchak's, uh, you know, liking Knox. Uh, but I wouldn't really necessarily be ecstatic with the pick. I don't know. It just He just doesn't blow me away, like you said, with any one thing. It's more of the upside and the fact that he's only 18 years old. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of what everybody's zeroing in on is, is his youth. He's the second youngest player, I think, in the draft. He actually might be the youngest. But, um, but yeah, there's just like you just struggle to see – where his elite or his greatest strength is and that really really worries me because it just tells me he's got a long way to go as a player um you know i've said before i think his ceiling could be something like a like an auto porter you know he reminds me a little bit of a player like that you know at, at his greatest but i mean you just look at some of his numbers like i mean there's this idea that he can play with the ball in his hands more he had an 8.7 percent assist rate in one season at Kentucky, uh, in a 14.2, yeah. And 14, almost 14 and a half percent turnover rate. I mean, that is an awful, awful assist to turnover ratio. Um, you know, in the half court, Kentucky, you know, used him in a lot of different ways. And to Knox's credit, he showed a lot of creativity to get shots up, number one, and some tough shot making. I mean, I do think for a guy that's 6'9", he understands how to use screens, right? Like, he understands mm-hmm. how to set up his defender and then read his defender. Is he going under the screen? Okay, now he's fading. Is he chasing around? All right, he's going to curl and make a play. Like, you know, and he had some very little creative, like I said earlier, some creative mid-post floaters and stuff like that. And that's where, like, the nine-foot standing reach comes in. I mean, that's a super impressive measurement for a guy that projects as a small forward on the next level, but you know, I just don't see enough. I do not see enough in this game to make me think that he's worthy um, of a top 10 pick. So yeah, I'm I think, I think the good decision is I don't think we're going to have to make that decision in terms of the, the Hornets. I think he'll be gone by our pick for whatever reason, that upside just is such an allure for all these GMs and that 18, you know, he's 18 years old. Uh, he's going to develop into this, you know, this go-to score, which may be true, but uh, you know he didn't display that at Kentucky. And you've mentioned this before. Maybe it is because of Kentucky's poor offense in terms of not a lot of shooters, not a lot of space. So he was kind of constricted with what he had to work with. But uh, from things that I've seen, like you said, there's not one standout strength of his that you can point to that's going to automatically translate on the next level. Other than, like I said, his like body and his upside. He just looks like an NBA player. Right. Yep, I, I agree. And it, you know, I just with a guy like that at Kentucky who was really he was dependent on so much offensively, and, and that team just didn't have a lot of options. Like I just I would have liked to see him be more of a dog more often, right? Just be a little bit more of a go getter. Um, and he and he wasn't that, and he wasn't that on the defensive end either. Um, and I understand he's super young, and and I guess if you're the Hornets and you're thinking, I mean, the positive way to paint this if if the Hornets did draft Knox is. You know, look, we're starting over here. Yep. You know, we're, we just traded Kimball Walker. We picked up an extra lottery pick, whatever. Knox is there at 11. We, we need some really young guys in the pipeline here, you know, and, and start building a culture and, and, and building something with youth. I mean, we got to go cheap. We got to go young. Borrego's the, the perfect guy for that. And so, look, we don't want to draft a 20. 20 and a half year old, which I think Miles Bridges is something around there. We want to draft a guy who's almost two years younger than him. Uh, and really 
you know, really take advantage of that development period uh, and opportunity that we have. I mean, that's the way to paint it. And I get that. You know, I'm not saying Knox isn't going to become something special. I just think there's a, a lot of players on the wing that have proven so much more than him um, throughout college to this point. So, I mean, I re- really that's the idea of why I think he's he's lower on our draft rankings. Yeah. Certainly here on Busby Radio than I think a lot of what we've seen um, from NBA scouts and, and, and coaches and GMs. There just seem to be a lot of people that like him. Yeah. Let me, let me give you one more question before we wrap this up. Uh, if we stay at 11, not who do you want, but who do you think the Hornets are going to select? I know there's so many variables that come into play, but just make a prediction come Thursday night at the 11th pick. Charlotte's staying right there. They're going to be drafting. Oh, man. Uh, that's the most simple question, but it's also like the toughest. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think they're going to draft Colin Sexton. That's see, that's that's the way I'm leaning to. You know, Miles Bridges, yeah. my one A. That's who I would probably want the most. Uh, but I do think, like you said, Colin Sexton's going to be the pick. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I think he fills such a big need again. I think he has a very high ceiling. He's a good competitor. I mean, he just, he just one of those guys where you know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what you're getting when you draft him. And I think in that 10 to 14 range in the, in the NBA draft, I think those are the kind of players in that third, fourth tier, wherever your rankings um, are. You know, I, I think that choosing a player to be kind of a boomer bust is very, very risky. Um, and although, look, I mean, you and I talked about how much we love Zyre Smith and what he could potentially become, but that's a risk, you know, and, and I don't think that's smart for any team in that range, whether, whether you're the Nuggets and you're, you know, <laughs> one more finger from, from making the playoffs or you're the Hornets and staring a long road ahead. You know, I think you got to take the best player uh, available and something, you know, what you're going to get in that range right. you know, in the draft. So, so I think it's Sexton. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And I do want to give a shout out to uh, all the people on Twitter that participated in this prospect bracket uh, that we have going on. Uh, we got it down to the final four prospects. Uh, Miles Bridges and SGA are uh, facing up against each other. I'm not I'm not too high on SGA. And then uh, on the other end, it's Michael Bridges and Colin Sexton. And both of those, as I'm looking at them right now, are pretty close in terms of the percentages for the poll. But that'll last about another day. And then we'll get it down to our final two final two prospects uh and you guys can vote for your favorite prospect at 11 although i don't think uh michael bridges will be there so him being in this bracket kind of screws things up a little bit it does yeah it really does (laughs) um (laughs) but that's okay because there's a lot of chatter about him and anybody can fall at this point that's true anybody can rise anybody can fall we'll say this i thought this was going to be like one of the most locked in lottery boards that we've seen in years um, and it's turned out to be the like leading up to Thursday night, the most unpredictable, um, especially in the top 10. Like I mm-hmm. have no idea right now. No. Um, I mean, they're talking about Marvin Bagley at number two, which would be hilarious or Michael Porter course, jr. That would be more hilarious be, to me. Would, <laughs> I mean, either one would be pretty hilarious. Bagley, obviously he's going to put up stats in the NBA. I don't know how good of a player he'll end up being, but, um, but yeah, Sacramento man. And it really, the draft starts there, right? Like if, Sacramento takes Porter at two, then Carter, like Wendell Carter or Trey Young, like one player like that, like Bridges probably gets knocked back. Like somebody we're not talking about makes it to Charlotte at that point. Right, right. Yeah, because that just throws a whole, you know, a whole other twist into this. Well, yeah, it's just like math. It has to work out like that. But, um, but yeah, it should be interesting. And you brought up Shea Gillis-Alexander a second ago, too. We didn't really talk about him very much, but – 
you know, there's another guy that um, he's getting some top 10 buzz too. So who knows at this point? Anyways. All right. Well, that was episode 67 of Buzzbeat Radio. Again, we appreciate everybody listening. Um, as Richie said a minute ago, if you ha- when does voting close? For, for the, the semifinals, it closes uh, Tuesday night. So then we'll have our final, final two uh, Tuesday night. All right. So if you're not locked in on that, uh, Richie did this really cool little um, bracket, you know, Buzzbeat Radio, Twitter engagement um, bracket, and we're down to our semi. So go vote. We're at Buzzbeat Radio on Twitter. Go vote. That ends tomorrow night. Um, again, don't forget to check out QueenCityHoops.com. Um, there is Shea Gilgis Alexander, Colin Sexton, Lonnie Walker, uh, and Zaire Smith coverage up there. There's Kevin Knox coverage up there. All really in depth articles that I, I promise will make you a little bit smarter leading up to Thursday night. And then my man Brian Geisinger has got a Miles Bridges uh, spotlight coming out tomorrow. So I'm going to put that together tonight, post it tomorrow morning. So you got that with your morning coffee on Queen City Hoops. Uh, and then Almighty Baller. Uh, don't forget almightyballer.com. And we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. I'm sure I'm missing something. You are. But, you uh, are. Uh, I just want to just want to promote the uh, the Periscope show on Thursday. Oh, uh, the most important thing. Yes, yes. We weren't actually going to do this podcast episode. We were just going to wait to the draft, but we figured we kind of get our last thoughts in before the draft. Uh, but come join us on Periscope Thursday night. It won't start necessarily right when the draft starts, but we'll hop on. I don't know, just kind of as we feel we should. Maybe the fifth or sixth or seventh pick. And we'll go on through the Hornets pick. Hopefully they keep the 11th and they don't like trade back or anything, which I don't really think that's what they'll do. Uh, and we'll just kind of give our reactions as the, the draft unfolds. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for playing that, Richie. So don't forget, Thursday night, join us if you enjoyed last year. Not going to be the four-hour marathon, but we're going to make it even better. And Richie's got all the production set up and ready to go. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was episode 67. Uh, we will see you guys Thursday night. Take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.